Can you hear me now? All right. Well, that was fun. But you already pretty much got the sermon anyway. I mean, I'm not sure how to take what he just did and make that into... I mean, you're going to hear me talk for 30 seconds and basic, or 30 minutes and just say that. So <laughs> what a great introduction to the sermon. Our text for this morning... Oh, by the way, my name is Scott Simmons. I'm a, I am a pastor, but I'm not a pastor of this church. I am a pastor that attends this church. We've been coming here for about three years now. My wife and our family have been coming here, and it's really great to be a part of this body Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, good. All right. So Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 is our passage. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, lest you be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should... Test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the spirit From the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I read this passage and as I was preparing this sermon, I was struck by how much I myself need it, how much I need to hear your word here. So we pray, Father, that first of all, that you would speak to me through this passage. And then as I share, that you would allow each of us to be able to gain from your word what we need to live this Christian life, to live by the Spirit in a way that we might bear each other's burdens. For it's the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So a few years ago, actually, I'm going to take a risk. All right. A few years ago, uh, when shortly after Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, I went up to uh, a youth group camp. I was the main speaker at a high school retreat that uh, the Christian school that was part of our church uh, was putting on. And so I was the guy that spoke. And it was a really tough time for me because uh, the, the headmaster of the school told me that when, when I wasn't speaking, I could do whatever I wanted. And it was at Lake Champion, which is uh, uh, just a wonderful little young life camp up in the Catskills of New York, so it was gorgeous. And so I could spend all my time. Oh, I got to stay in my own room. I didn't have to, you know, sleep in a room with kids or anything. I got to have my own room with a jacuzzi. It was really tough. I was suffering for Jesus. And when I wasn't doing that, I got to hang out with kids or go fishing, which I did a lot of. Every morning, I would go fishing. And it was a lot of fun. I would just go down and I would get uh, in one of the canoes on the eastern side of the lake, and then uh, I would, best fishing was on the western side of the lake where there were a lot of reeds and, and um, uh, lily pads, a uh, lot of bass there. It was a really good time fishing. Every morning I was just terrible, suffering for Jesus there. <clears throat> but uh, one morning 
the uh, the winds from Hurricane Katrina had made it up. It had flown or had gone up through uh, the United States and made and went eastward and basically hit the Catskills. And we didn't get any rain, but we got lots of wind. And so on this morning, again, I thought things were going really great for me as I was as I went out in the morning because the wind was blowing me across the lake and I got to even like troll for fish along the way because the, the wind was blowing the boat and with me in it all the way to the best part of the lake. And I had a great time that morning until I came time for me to row back to shore to the western side or the eastern side of the lake and dock my boat and go speak. I have to be on time, you see. And so <clears throat> I started to row my canoe back to the other side of the lake and I began to realize the predicament that I was in. Every time I began to row that boat back to the other side of the lake, I would be, I would do okay as long as the boat was facing, the bow of the boat was facing directly into the wind. But if that boat swerved to the left or the right just a little bit away from the way the wind was blowing, it would basically become a sail, flip me backwards and start blowing me against the, uh, the western side of the lake where it was impossible to get out because there were, there were, um, reeds everywhere and it was like a marshy, madness there. And, and I began to realize I was in trouble because if I don't get out of this boat, I won't be able to speak. And if I can't get out of the boat over where all these reeds are, and I need to get out of them. And uh, I began to realize that I was in a fair amount of trouble. Now, I have a confession to share with you at this point, and that is that I've shared this story before. And a Boy Scout person leader came up to me afterwards and said, you realize if you just would have moved to the front of the boat, you would have been okay. I didn't know that. I didn't think of it. And so I was panicking, trying to figure out how to get to the other side of the boat sitting in the back of this canoe. Well, there was an opening where, uh, where an opening in the shoreline where I could get through the reeds and get to the shore. And I thought, if I, can't, if I can at least make it to there, maybe I'll be okay. I can leave the boat, which I wasn't supposed to do, but I could leave the boat there and then go do my speaking. Well, after being basically exhausted... I made it to that one little spot, and I saw a chaperone, and I asked her to come help me, and we rowed the boat. Once she got in the boat with me, there was weight in the front of the boat, two people rowing. We did great. We got to the dock, and everything was okay. And that's exactly what this passage is all about. Because what Kim did, the chaperone that helped me out, she didn't stand on the side of the boat or on the side of the shore and say, yeah, you're doing a good job. Just row a little harder. You'll make it. Or And she didn't say, you know, if you just sit in the front of the boat, you'll be all right. <laughs> what she said to me, well, she didn't have to say anything. She got in the boat, and we rowed together. The winds were too strong for me to make it back to the dock on my own. I, could not, I did not have the strength to fight Katrina on my own. But once she got in the boat with me, everything was okay. And that's what life in community is all about. This section of the book of Galatians, Paul is talking about what it means to live by the Spirit, what it means to live in community as a Christian church. And he's encouraging us here that we need to get into each other's boats. We need to live lives together, to walk in each other's lives with the hope of the gospel. But striving to live an authentic community like that can be challenging. And one of the big questions that we all have to ask as we live like that is how do we decide which uh, which of the things that I struggle with are just me I need to deal with on my own? That is, what are our individual responsibilities that we need to shoulder by ourselves? And what are the things that are just too big where we feel like Jonathan here? 
that we need others to come alongside us, to walk with us, to get in our boats and walk with us. That's, in many ways, what Paul is talking about here. He's dealing, with, on the one hand, with our individual responsibilities, and on the other hand, with our corporate obligations, with the, with the obligations that we have as the body of Christ to be the body of Christ to the body of Christ. And so he deals with this in two ways. First, I'd like to talk about the individual stuff first, even though it comes later. In verse 5, he says, each of us ought to share or to carry our own load. Now, that phrase is not a phrase we use today, but we do use a phrase that might be very similar to that. We talk about the need to basically carry our own weight. That is, for any community to work, we have to have people doing stuff, people doing the things that they're called to do, things that are reasonable for them to be able to do. That's what he's talking about here. He says, basically, we're responsible for our own actions. We're responsible for our own obedience. We reap what we sow, he says, and if we think otherwise, we deceive ourselves and we mock our God. If we live to please the, hum- the sinful nature, we reap eternal destruction. If we live to, reap, live to please the Spirit, we reap eternal life. Now, I should be clear here. I don't think Paul is saying at all that we need to, be, to obey to receive eternal life. He's simply saying that if we are believers, if the Spirit dwells in us, we will live differently. And so those of us who live differently have the Holy Spirit, and because we have this Holy Spirit, we will reap eternal life. He's not saying we have to earn eternal life through the way that we, be, way, way we believe. His point is simply that we bear responsibility for our own obedience. We can't blame anyone else for our own sins. And I am aware that we are influenced by lots of different things, and things have influences on us that can be very negative. But that doesn't absolve us from, the, from our responsibility with the choices that we make. We own them ourselves. And generally speaking, I think what Paul is saying is that we bear responsibility for managing our own lives as well. We have to pull our own weight in the management of our finances, in our families, and in our finances, or in our schedules. But Paul is not naive here. He recognized something that is very important for us to see as well. He knows that we all fail. And it's because we all fail it's because that we need community. We all need community. We disobey God. We disobey his commandments. We fall short in our responsibilities. Sometimes we mess up our schedules. Sometimes we mess up in our families. Sometimes we mess up in our finances. We get in debt and we need help. We fall short. We need forgiveness and we need restoration. So Paul begins this passage by simply saying, when we sin, we need to restore each other gently. It's not, I told you so. It's not, well, you know, you should have done this differently. If you just would have done this, you would have been okay. Restore. And I think even more important than the restoring part is the gently part. Because when we're hurt, when we sin, we often feel bad enough. We need the restoration done gently in our lives. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are members of God's household. And we don't just sit around and watch other people drown in their sins. We love. That's what we're about. And so we get involved in each other's lives to bring restoration into their lives and to do it gently. We're called to reach out in gentleness and kindness so that we would never be seen as kicking people when they're down. And I'm aware that a lot of times people are in sin and they're in sin and they don't want to be out of sin and they believe this is where they want to be. Either they've convinced themselves that they're not sinning or they just don't care and they don't want restoration. And that's something for church discipline. But for the rest of us, when we're just dealing with stuff and we can't seem to make life work on our own, 
We, we need restoration. We need people to get involved in our lives. We need people to love us in the midst of us and help, it through it, help us through it. But Paul is even telling us something more than that. He's telling us more than just that we need to bring be agents of restoration in people's lives. He's telling us that we need, we need to bear each other's burdens. Because sometimes life stretches us beyond our limits. And we can't simply row our boats on our own. Things happen in our lives that are tragic and difficult or just plain huge, and we can't handle them. And so he tells us to, care, to carry each other's burdens. And that might seem kind of odd because he just got finished telling us in verse 5 to carry our own loads. But what's the difference between why do I have to carry my own load but I have to carry other people's burdens? What does that even mean? Well, you had a pretty good demonstration of this here. That is, the word load is a word that was used. This is heavy. The word load is used to refer to um, a soldier's backpack filled with stuff that the guy needs to live as a a centurion. And he would put that on his back and he would carry it. It's a reasonable reasonable amount of, of weight for a person to be able to carry on their own. But a burden is something bigger. A burden is something larger, something that I can't carry on my own. It shouldn't be expected to carry on my own. I can carry one backpack maybe, but you put nine on me, I don't have enough arms to carry that many backpacks, nor the strength to carry it. And so that's why we need community, to be able to shoulder those burdens that many of us have, but we can't do it on our own. Let me give you a couple examples of what this might be. For instance, you could ask your mom, would you do my homework for me? I really want to go play with my friends. See, that's a problem with your load. <laughs> we need that we have responsibility to do our own backpack or do our own uh, homework. But if I say, I've really been trying to do my homework and I just don't get it, can you please help me? See, I just can't do it. I need help. And so that's a burden that other people should can help with. If you are struggling with addiction, by definition, you can't handle it on your own. You can't. You need somebody to reach out to you, and you need to reach out to others to receive help. If you have people in your life life that are struggling with addictions, you can't make them better on your own. If you're struggling with the news that you've had a family member abused, you can't do it on your own. You need help. If you find that you've lost your job, you need help. You need people to come alongside you. If you have a chronic illness or family members with chronic illness, you can't make it on your own. We just visited my my wife's family up in Maryland, and my mother-in-law is dealing with caring for her mother-in-law in the final stages of her life with dementia. She can't handle it on her own. She needs help. These are things that are burdens that many of us have, whether it be our own sin or just the circumstances of our lives. We can't deal with it on our own. We need community. When things happen to us that we can't manage on our own, we need to get into each other's boats. I remember my first hospital visit. Well, maybe not my first, but my first two or three, somewhere in there, uh, after I was ordained, I went to visit a guy in the hospital. And uh, shortly after I visited him, he died of a brain tumor, leaving behind a young wife, 
and very young kids. Now, in my church up, up in Maryland, we had uh, what we called flocks. And these were, you might call them large life groups that met on Sunday morning and during the Sunday school hour. And they were designed to be places where not only we get teaching but fellowship and where we'd be able to basically get into each other's boats. And so uh, Dawn, the wife, and her two kids uh, were a part of a flock, and they rallied around her in ways that were just amazing to see. They made meals for her. They brought the kids to doctor's appointments. They picked them up from school. They did, they, and really mostly what they did, and they became shoulders for her to cry on when she was missing her husband. They rallied around her, and that group became so close and so tight-knitted together, they, they really was impossible for them to be so, so close to each other without having to deal with the burdens that the group was facing. They were growing, they grew together as a group because they shouldered each other's burdens. And it was a real testimony to others that the body of Christ works when we care. See, the reality is that community really is, it ought to be defined as people walking together, carrying each, our own loads, but carrying each other's burdens. Otherwise, we're just people taking up the same space. Community requires that we love each other well enough to shoulder our burdens. And I think in many ways, you at UPC, you have reasons to be proud here. Because we moved down three years ago, and we had burdens of our own. And I can tell you that you have great pastors. Because they have really done a great job of being a part of our lives and helping us walk through the burdens that we were facing. <clears throat> they know, I know they know what it means. <laughs> because I've seen it in their lives And I also have seen it in the plans that they're making for UPC. This new direction that they have for life groups here is not something that uh, comes out of left field. And and they haven't asked me to say this. They haven't not paid me to say this. This is a great idea. It's an opportunity for life groups to be the place at UPC where you can, it's your boat. And it's the place where all of you can be together in the same boat and love each other in the midst of all the struggles, the loads, and the burdens that you're facing. It's the way God intended for the community of the church to operate. So the call to community, though, comes with it a temptation. There's a temptation that we all face in the midst of dealing with community. And the temptation is one of pride. Paul deals with this in verses 1 through 3. He begins out by saying, watch out lest you be tempted as you try to restore each other in their in your struggles. Watch out, lest you yourselves be tempted. And then growing up, I always thought that meant tempted to commit the same sin that the person that sinned committed. But I don't think that's the case anymore because look at verse 3. In verse 3, he says, he says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What he's dealing with there is pride, thinking that you're something when you're nothing. And pride really does become the ultimate enemy of community. Because pride can take two forms, really. One, one form, which I think was, is what Paul has in mind here the most, is when we look at other people's struggles and says, it's too bad for them. They have those struggles. It's a good thing I don't. And maybe even reach out to help, but you reach out with a condescending attitude because you have something that they don't. But there's another kind of pride as well where we say, I don't have any burdens. All I have is load. 
In other words, I can handle my boat just fine by myself. Thank you very much. And I don't need anybody else to have anything to do with my own life. See, one says, I'm too good for the other person that needs help. And the other one says, I really don't need any help. But both of them are forms of pride. Both of them are, are realizing or failing to realize that we all have burdens and we all have needs. We all need the church and we all need each other. We are such private people in the United States today. There's so much about our lives that we don't feel willing to share because we don't want others to think badly about us. And so we hide our burdens away and we try to make them work on our own. And we can't. And then we look at everyone else hiding their burdens and we think, well, they don't have any, they're doing just fine, why aren't I? And we end up being a group of people taking up the same space and hiding our burdens from each other. Pride is the killer of community. But humility, genuine humility, allows us us to recognize that we're all equals and that we all need each other. After all, this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus came. He didn't stand up in heaven and say, wow, you guys are doing really poorly there. You need to change. He came. And he became one of us. He got in our boats. He lived with us without sin. And then he took all of our burdens upon himself, our sin, our shame, our misery, all of it upon himself. And he died. And he rose again from the dead on the third day that we might have newness of life, that we might be welcomed into his household, that we might be accepted and forgiven and made valuable members of his family. And if this is what Jesus did for us, how can we live any differently in the lives of the people that God has placed in our lives right here at UPC? It's just an an opportunity for us to live out the gospel that we have received in the lives of others because we have the same needs as everyone else. And we have received so much from Jesus and from the gospel. We can't help but give the same to others. And I'm going to suggest something that might seem counterintuitive here. But the church actually thrives when it lives this way. That is normally the way we think, because we think in terms of self-preservation. As long as I get life working well for me, then that's good. But the church actually thrives when we think differently. When we think, if I sacrifice my own comforts for that of others, That's when the community begins to thrive. I read a book recently, well, several years ago, about uh, The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. If you haven't read this book, you ought to read it. It's just a fantastic book. And he deals with basically how the early church, what he calls this marginal, obscure Jesus movement that began in the first century, how did this church become the dominant religious force in the Western world in just a few centuries? Because by the time of Constantine in the 4th century, the church was basically everywhere in the Roman Empire. How did that happen? What were the factors, the social factors in particular, that caused that to happen? And he's got a chapter on basically the plagues that happened, one in the the 2nd century and one in the 3rd century. One hit in 165 A.D., an epidemic of some sort. We don't know what it is. It may have been smallpox. Most people think it was smallpox. And the epidemic was so great that as many as one-third of the Roman Empire died as a result of this disease. Can you imagine the bodies that people were seeing on a daily basis with that kind of death toll throughout the Roman Empire and what that might do to you? Another one hit about 100 years later, around 250 or so, 260. The height of it was in 260 A.D. when in the, in the, in the city of Rome, as many as 5,000 people per day were dying 
due to the disease that had spread throughout the, the Roman Empire. It was devastating. What is amazing to me is how people responded. According to Rodney Stark, when the, when the pagan priests learned about this disease, many of them fled to areas that were not infected. And pagan worshipers often uh, quarantined themselves. They isolated themselves from the suffering to try to make it, make it through it without gathering or without gaining um, the disease. There was a problem with that philosophy, though. If they did catch the disease, there was no one there to help them, and they died. But Christians uh, opted for a very different strategy. Christian priests stayed, and they ministered to those who were suffering. And many of the the members of the churches did the same thing. And as they shared their own lives with others by ministering to those who had had these diseases, many of these ministers died. Many of them died. But they survived in greater numbers than the pagans did. And so in in an amazing, strange way, the church grew with respect to the rest of the communities in the Roman Empire simply because they were willing to give their lives for the sake of loving others. And there was a, a, sec- a third century bishop who described it in this way. This is Dionysius writing in about 260 AD. He says, most of us or most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick and tending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them, departed, uh, they, they departed this life serenely happy, for they, were infect, uh, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and, and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of presbyters, that is elders, deacons, and laymen, uh, winning high commendations so that death in this form, the results of great piety and strong faith, seemed in every way the equal of martyrdom. The church grew in spite of that kind of struggle because of the way that they loved. So much so when the second plague hit, the pagans were trying to find a way to duplicate what the Christians were doing because it was the only way they were going to make it through it. And then, because they didn't just care for Christians, but for those that were unbelievers as well, many people converted. They saw that the church was offering something the world didn't have, that they valued love more than life. And that's something to be a part of. Because this is exactly what our Savior did for us. Most of us will never make this kind of sacrifice. Most of us will never have the need. But the principle still applies. Because we love our comforts. We love what we enjoy. We are experts at self-preservation. But this is not the cruciform life. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and to follow him. The cruciform life is one that carries the burdens of others. Sometimes a great cost to ourselves to restore each other when we sin, and to bring relief to those that suffer. So let me ask you a couple questions. What are your burdens and what are your loads? What are the burdens that you're not willing to tell others about? They might be hard. You might have to do some soul searching to figure out what those are. But what are they? And let me ask you just to take one step. And that is to find a safe person 
and to share. Just share that you have a struggle and see what happens. And let me ask you another question. What are the people, what people are in need around you? You may not know, but let me ask you to do one thing this week, and that is just ask what's going on. No, really, what's going on? Sometimes just listening is 90% of the battle. It's 90% of getting in another person's boat. It's just being willing to be there and to listen. You know, I find it interesting that this passage ends with an exhortation. Make sure you do good to all, especially to fellow believers. And I found that kind of odd that he would end that way. Why single out Christians? Why would Paul prioritize believers? I mean, he says otherwise, other places that he'd be willing to die for unbelievers. So why single them out as for special care here? But let me suggest that he maybe had a good reason for doing so. That is, when we share the gospel, normally we think of it in terms of one person meeting another person and sharing the gospel with that person. But there's also a community witness that the church has beyond just the individual of one person sharing with another person. When the church loves well, like the early church did, it sends a powerful message that the church really believes this stuff. That just in the same way that Jesus gave himself for us, we are going to give ourselves for others and for each other. In fact, I believe the strongest witness that the church has in the world today is simply authentic love, where we bear each other's burdens and demonstrate the truth of the gospel by the way that we love each other. The burden of the gospel is life-giving for others. When we have received this kind of love from our Savior, we can't help but give that love to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you did for us. When we look at our sin and our shame, you had no need to bear our burdens. And yet you came because you loved. You loved us and you gave your life for us. We thank you. And we also pray, Father, that you would encourage us and strengthen us to be able to reach out to others, to be willing to share, yes, I have a struggle, and be willing to bear the burdens of others as well. For it's the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.